Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Rosh Hashanah, daf Yud Tet, page 19. So I just wanted to actually go back to something that we brought up on yesterday's daf, uh, which was this question of this mention of fasting on Tet Tammuz and not Yud Zion Tammuz, which is when we really fast. And so I had a little bit of time to read up on this, and the Ritva and other commentators actually mentioned that the reason for this is that the breach of the wall for the first Beit HaMikdash took place on, on Tet Tammuz, on the 9th of Tammuz. When the second Beit HaMikdash was rebuilt, uh, then those days actually were no longer fast days anymore because you had the Beit HaMikdash. And the second Beit HaMikdash, the wall was breached on Yud Zayin Tammuz. So that fast day eventually became on Yud Zayin Tammuz. But you know, but originally sort of with Bayat Rishon, with the first Beit HaMikdash, it was on Tet Tamas. So just wanted to sort of fill in that gap from yesterday. Um, I wanted to mention two things that I thought were interesting on, on Amud Alf, and I guess, and you're sort of taking over a little bit more, I would bet. So there's a whole discussion here um, uh, that continues about Megillat Tanit and whether or not, um, you know, it, it, it still exists or do we still have to hold the days um, that are mentioned there. And so they talk about a brisa here that sort of wants to discuss whether there's a distinction between biblical holidays and, um, you know, holidays that are that are listed in Megillah Tanit. The Tanya was taught in a brisa. These days which are written in Megillah Tanit, they're forbidden both the day before and the day after. In other words, the day before and the day after you are not allowed to fast either. Shabbat tobiyamim tobim heim asurim, right? Lifneim ulacharim utarim. But for Shabbatot and, and, and for Yom Tov, the day before and after, you actually can fast, which kind of is counterintuitive. Like why are we stricter with the Megillat Tanit holidays or days mentioned than we are with Shabbat and Yom Tov that are mentioned in the Torah? Mahat fresh ben zelazeh. So the Brisa basically says, what's the difference? Hallelujah dibrei Torah, right? The Shabbatot and the Amim Tovim are, they're from the Torah itself. And biblical law basically doesn't need to be strengthened, right? Everyone's going to be careful to make sure that they don't end up fasting on a Shabbat or Yom Tov. So we don't have to say there's no fasting, public fasting the day before or after. But but the you know the days that are mentioned in Megillah Tanit, they're rabbinical, right? They're they're not they're not from the Torah. And rabbinical ordinances require, you know, to, to be sort of strengthened. So I thought this was just sort of overall an interesting approach that we're seeing from Chazal, that sometimes we actually need to have sort of more, uh, more of a fence around, or, you know, like we would say a siyag or, you know, like uh, we have to be more careful with divrei sofrim than we are with divrei Torah. Um, and so I thought that was, uh, that was, that was interesting. Um, the next piece I wanted to jump to is uh, continuing with this discussion, we get to an interesting episode that I just wanted to talk a little bit about. Matzi Raptubi Bar Matna. So Raptubi Bar Matna talks about a specific holiday that's mentioned in Megillah Tanit. Basrim Utam Nabe, on the 28th of Adar, Atat Bishurta Tafta Luhude, good tidings came to the Jews, right? Something good came to the Jews. Delo Yidun Meoraita. They would not have to remove themselves from Torah study. Shegazra hamachut gezera, for the the machut had made a decree. Now, what machut are we talking about? We're talking about the Romans, right? 
And so basically what this is talking about is the Romans came, right? This is when they were primarily in control of Eretz Israel, and they made certain decrees. So one was that they would not be allowed to learn Torah, right? Shalom Yaskuba Torah. They wouldn't be allowed to learn Torah. Shalom They could not circumcise their sons. And they would have to desecrate Shabbat. So basically the idea is, is that the Romans sort of try to take away three distinguishing characteristics of the Jewish people and make them violate these things. Masa Yehuda ben Shamua. So what did Yehuda ben Shamua do? V'chavei Rav and his friends. They went to a Roman noblewoman. Now, this uh, there are a few stories in the Gemara about sort of like these Roman noblewomen who the Tanaim uh, sort of interact with or get advice from um, uh, uh, or things like that. So just, you know, pay attention that we may see this again. Um, and so they basically when they, they basically got advice from her, like, what is it that they should do? Uh, right, because all the, the the big people in Rome would go, you know, um, uh, you know, frequented uh, her home, I guess, or her. Amr lahem. So she said to Yehuda ben Shamu and, and his chaverav, "Bo v'hapkinu ba'layla, go and cry out in the nighttime." In other words, you should protest. So they went out and they protested. Amru ishamayim, and they said, "Oh, for heaven's sake." So, okay, so they said, for heaven's sake, um, are we not your brothers? Are we not children of the same father? What, what do they mean by that? Because we say that Esav comes from, uh, sorry, that Rome comes from Esav and B'nai Israel comes from Yaakov. So they're trying to say, well, we come from the same father. We all come from Yitzchak. Um, uh, and then say, don't we come from the same mother, right? Basically referring to, to Rivka here. How are we different than any nation and tongue under, under you? In other words, you have many different nations that are under you. So why are you picking on us, right? You're making us harsh decrees. And so the Romans heard this argument. And they basically abolished the decrees. And therefore, on that day, the 28th of Adar, they made it actually uh, a fast day. Um, then the Gemara gets into a very interesting discussion where basically Toby Barmasna uses this, you know, as a um, as a proof of saying, like, wait, they they were not, um, you know, they weren't Batla, what was in Mikilat Tani. Um, there were some that were brought, made during the first temple and some that were added you know, later on after the temple had been destroyed. And they basically proved that Yehuda ben Shamua was actually, a, was a student of Rabbi Meir. So this is well after the destruction of the temple. And it seems that they were still sort of adding uh, uh, holidays to Megillah Tani. But I just think this was an important story to go through. It shows, tells us a lot about sort of how Jews interacted with Rome, what types of decrees Rome enacted against the Jews. And we see that a lot, that a lot of it is around Brit Milah, Shabbat, and not being able to learn Torah, this theme of having sort of this Roman matriarch, uh, you know, sort of helped them. But I also think the, when you read this, you know, what, what, what play does it remind you of, Anne? Because I automatically thought of Shylock, right? Like it has <laughs> sort of merchant of Venice sort of tone to it. Like they're basically saying, we're exactly like you, right? If you prick us, do we not bleed? So that's, you know, right. that this is sort of the, the Shylock version in, in the Gemara here.
I think also, I mean, you know, once we get this kind of narrative that gives us this window into the historical era, even when it's presenting something ahistorically, right, that's fundamentally what's happening, it's, I just always find it interesting and valuable because it's not simply a list of, you know, the halachot or whatever, which I'm about to talk about. But I I also like the halachot part. I'm just saying that I think there's, there's, a tremendous insight, I think, into what Chazal were thinking, how they were thinking when they give us, give us these like slices of life type of thing. Um, okay, um, I am jumping to Ahmed Bet and really toward the second. Ahmed Bet is kind of long on the second half of Ahmed Bet. It cites the Mishnah. It says Val Kislev Mipnei Chanukah Val Adar Mipnei Hapurim. The the citation is talking about when the messengers would go out to bring news that it's going to be um, it's going to be uh, new year, right? A uh, new month, rather, right? And then the question is, what happens? Adar sometimes is a leap year. No, let me say that better. If a year is going to be a leap year, right? We know that the Jewish, the Hebrew calendar of a leap year means an extra month of Adar. And we've talked about this before in the podcast. It means that an Adar Aleph is inserted. It's completely counterintuitive because you would think it would be Adar Bet. A, a first Adar is inserted between the end of Shvat and the beginning of the month that's going to be Adar, regular Adar, which is Adar Bet, before Nisan, because the idea is it's to Nisan, which is, there's a Pusik that says it has to be in the spring, right? A biblical verse that says it needs to be in, the word is Aviv, so that's very much spring. And if it's going to be too early, then it will be too cold and it will not yet be spring. So they lengthen the year by adding in an other. Okay, so that's just how we build a calendar. The question, though, is what happens to this leap if there's a leap year and you have that extra month? Then how does that work when we've got the messengers who are going out in other, right? They're going out in other because of Purim. And then actually everybody should be able to keep count even from Purim to Pesach, but that's not exactly how they do it, right? So it says as follows. That's the citation. So if you have a, a year that is a leap year, it's called Ibor Shana. Um, technically, I guess, translates to be a pregnant year, right? It's got that extra month in it. Um, then then they would go out in Adar to tell everybody about Purim, but they're going out in Adar Bet. Lokatani. But the whole point is, that this Mishnah um, is not, it doesn't say that. The Mishnah doesn't tell us about the Adarshini. And then the, the Gemara continues, because that point, the Mishnah was not in alignment with the opinion of Rabbi Yudha Nasi, because we know that Rabbi Yudha Nasi said in a Brayta elsewhere, So why does this matter to us today? Right, The Mishnah doesn't specify that Adar Shani is not an exception to the policy of going out during Adar. We could argue over whether that's for sure a distinction in a, a difference in a view with Rebuda Nasi, or whether by saying Adar because of Purim, you could actually infer that it's um, whichever Adar happens to be closest to Purim, that's when they'll go out to, with their announcements. But what I want to get to is the much more complicated aspect of having these Roshei Chodashim and the fact of how long the month is going to be. So if you have inbred in you the secular calendar, as I do, then the idea that the months could be of different lengths, different number of days per month, is relatively insane, right? Because, of course, we know that each month has 
not each month, plenty of months have different lengths, right? February is 28 and sometimes 29 and 30 days have September, April, June, and November, all of this, right? But they are fixed such that every September has only 30 days, right? And every February, except for the leap year ones, have 28. We're not surprised that January has 31 days and so on. But when you assess the month's length based on the moon and the sighting of the moon and the witnesses who come to tell you that they've seen the moon, then you can end up with a month that last year had a different amount of days than this year, which gets pretty complicated. Um, just, you know, from a astronomical perspective, I don't think it's that complicated. It's the same moon, earth revolving thing that every month has, every lunar month. But the question of when, it, what happens if the moon isn't spotted in the right day, and so you're going to add in another day because they weren't they weren't able to come for Kiddush Hakodesh. We haven't we haven't outlined this well enough yet, and we will as we come to it. Let's talk here about what's going on in this stuff, right? The question is, okay, we're going to send out the messages for, on the second Adar, so everybody will know to keep the mitzvot of Adar in Adar in Adar Sheni. But then the Gemara rejects that and says, "Lo tekule alma mitzvot hanoagot b'sheni ein noagot b'rishon." So the Gemara says no, because everybody agrees, and as far as I know, everybody really does agree, that the mitzvot that you do in Adar Shini, you don't do in Adar Rishon, meaning that leap month is very parav, I would say, right? There's nothing, there's nothing, there's no festivals in there. There's no Purim. There's no Purim. That's the bottom line. So the Gemara goes on. Mitzvah, um, the debate is about a, a leap year, how many days are in the month of the leap month? Shloshim yom. My answer is 30 days. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Omer Chodesh. But Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says a month. And a month means that it doesn't have that fixed number of days. It's not that it's always going to be 30 days for other bet. It's that you have to do the same thing that you do always with the witnesses coming to attest to the fact that they saw the new moon. And, and as we'll learn, you know, the the Sanhedrin would quiz them and make sure that it was really true and so on. So the Gemara goes on, what's the difference about 30 days? Meaning why is 30 days different from a month? And of course, the the quick answer is because it's precise, right? Meaning it has to be a full 30 days. You can't just thumb for around for the approximate length of time that a month is. The Gemara says a little bit, I I don't think it's being tongue in cheek, but it works for us that way. The Yadi, that they know, what does it mean that they know? The people can count 30 days and then they know when that month ends and when Purim is going to be. Chodesh Nami Yadi. She said, well, of course, people also know how long a month is because the basic month is 29 days, right? As a, And then they would only add in a 30th day if the witnesses did not come in time and they had to add in a day. So sometimes months really are 30 days, but the default lunar month, according to the Gemara here, is 29 days. So once you know it's 29 days, that's as good as knowing that it's 30 days. I mean, you could, you can count each out just as easily. Amar of Papa, Manda Amar Chodesh, Ratza Chodesh, Ratza Shloshim. Rav Papa says as follows. The one who said a month, right? Well, we know who said it. It's Rav Hashem Ben Gamliel. But the one who said a month doesn't necessarily mean 29 days. I mean, if you say a month, 29 days, well, but it could also be 30 days. So that's why. So, so when he says, if Papa says that when you say it, it's a month, it doesn't, it doesn't have to mean 29. 
So then counting out 29 won't get you the amount of time that you necessarily need because maybe the Sanhedrin is going to decide 30 days. So Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi once came and testified in Jerusalem about the second about the two others. Because they would sanctify them literally on the day that they would make this leap month. And then the Gemara goes on, that is to say, the Chasarin Avidi Avdinan, that it was it was a, a a lacking month, meaning 29 days. And if it had been 30 days, then they wouldn't they would they wouldn't have necessarily have to make it into the full month of the 30 days. They don't need to do that. Let me say this one more time. As I said, it gets a little bit tricky because of these. It's tricky, I think, conceptually. As I said, not astronomically. The chaserin of Dinan, they they make the months, both months of Adar, Adar Aleph and Adar Bet become short months. Chaserin, Mlein lo Avdinan, they wouldn't make them both thirty days. La Puke Midrasha Reb Rev Nachman Barchista Hei Reb Simon Bishum Chagai Zachariu Malachi Al Shnei Adarim. So that means we're going to exclude this opinion of Rev Nachman Barchista because what he said was how Rav Simai testified in the name of Chagai Zechariah Malachi, whom you'll recognize from Navi, from the books of the prophets, that they also had two Adarim, meaning they said it's going to be a leap year. Because then the story of Rav Nachman Bar is quoting, says you could have either month, either both could be 29 or both could be 30. It, this business of making sure that it's not going to be two full months of 30 was not a problem in the earlier story. Because of Rabbeinu, right, that means they say, So what they say, two months of Adar were always observed that one would be full, one would be complete, 30 days, and one would be short, 29 days, unless you happen to know that the new moon, the new moon itself, meaning you know that from the, from the sky, was actually fixed in that particular time, and then you'll have two others being 29 days, instead of the first one being 30 and the second one 29. Now, basically, that's what we do nowadays, meaning this is the way they fix the calendar, as opposed to depending on the witnesses to come. But the very fact that a... a a leap year can have a handling of that leap month, that extra month, in a different way from all the other months is, I think, a very strange thing. Um, in typical Gemara fashion, there's no Mishnah or anything really explaining the concept. <laughs> you just get right. straight into the discussion of it. And now we sort of have to work backwards and sort of piece it together. But I think some of that is because this understanding of the calendar was just understood by everybody. Sometimes your month is 29 days, sometimes it's 30 days. So I think when you grow up or sort of that's always what your reality is, it's not so confusing. But I think us working off of a solar calendar and the, you know, non-Jewish calendar, this is a little bit, you know, confusing and tricky, as you keep saying, Dan. Right. And I think also the fact that there was a procedure, meaning, listen, we're, a t- I don't know about you. I'm, I have a running calendar all the time in my head, right? It doesn't mean I always have the right day, but at least in theory I do, right? So I don't think that that awareness of the date was present in the ancient world in that same way. They were very aware of 
Shabbos, right? When Shabbos is in the calendar, they're very aware of the holidays and they're very aware of Rosh Chodesh itself. What, is it going to be this day? Is it going to be that day? They're waiting to see. But all the rest becomes, I think, much more of a muddle from day in to day out. It, it didn't matter, you know, except for those particular days where there would be different korbanot and different tefillot and, and different practices. So I, I don't know. I, I think that this idea of having an extra month to keep the calendar on track, I mean, we understand why that has to be. I don't know that, that there was such an awareness in the general populace of how much that month was going to be any different, except for that they're not getting announcements about Purim yet, so it must be other Aleph. You know, like, I, I'm I'm hypothesizing, perhaps unfairly, but that's my well, that's my idea that, like you didn't plan as far ahead. You know what I mean? Like you didn't know when the holidays were going to throw. You know, uh, you literally could. And whereas, like today, I could let you know when the holiday is going to be in five years from now. So it's just it's a really different relationship to time. Exactly. Well, yeah, it's just a different relationship. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.